good morning. Glad to be with you. It's been a pleasure to worship with you this morning. If you're visiting with us, we appreciate your presence. Uh, you could have been anywhere else, but you chose to be here for whatever reasons, and we're extremely glad about that. My name is Jason Bennett. I'm the minister here at, uh, at Cornerstone, and we're glad you're with us. And you might be wondering what on earth is going on in here because there's tables everywhere. And that's a great question, and there's a very simple answer for that. We don't know either. Now, the reason we have uh, so many tables out is part of our focus this year at Cornerstone has been to really center on the table and what happens around tables as we participate in, in Eucharist, in, in communion or Lord's Supper, however you might call it. But not only in here, we have also encouraged our church to spend more time around tables throughout the week and with one another, whether it be individual families or neighbors or other church members, sitting down, looking someone in the eye, having a conversation, putting screens down, you know, that kind of thing, spending time around tables, having a meal together. And so for, uh, I think, about eight or probably nine weeks throughout the year so far, we have had Sundays just like this where we have set up tables and worshiped around the tables. And so, you know, sometimes it makes it a little bit awkward because you got to kind of squeeze by and, you know, you got to use your dance moves to shift around people. But it's been really great, and we've even had some times where the individual tables would talk about communion and talk about what the bread means and talk about what the cup means, talk about what the sacrifice of Christ uh, means. And so it's just been really a, a pretty powerful thing that we have done. If you come back next Sunday, you should be able to sit in a row, if that's your thing, because we'll be uh, back in rows next Sunday, and then sometime before the end of the year, we'll be back in tables, back around tables again. But we're glad you're here. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open to Acts chapter 19. It is, uh, it's been a busy morning for us. It's, it's going to be a busy rest of the afternoon. We have a baby shower immediately following worship this morning now Tim is much nicer than I am so uh, what I will say is that if you are not in the shower go out from here you can stay just don't stay in here unless you're going to participate in the shower if you stay you have to stay for the shower does that work right okay men primarily are the ones that I'm talking to get out unless you want to stay for the shower and if all the men stay, Terry James has to stay, and he definitely has other plans. So you'll have to take it up with him. So if you're not staying for the shower, as soon as worship ends, please clear out so the ladies can have the shower. Uh, we're doing this to kind of speed things along because we know that several people are also trying to make it to the, uh, to the funeral this afternoon for Chuck. So we're just trying to, to keep things moving. Having said that, I'm also going to try to do my part and keep my part uh, short as I can today. So let's begin in, uh, in Acts chapter 20 as we continue along in the story. You know, power is a strange thing, is it not? It can do some incredible good, and we have seen people take the power that they have and do some incredible things for the good of humanity, for those that are downtrodden and, and broken or oppressed or experiencing uh, injustice. 
But power can also do some indescribable evil. We think back to the the Holocaust and the evil that surrounded that. Some people have power. Some don't. I imagine that within this group here, probably we all maybe have a little bit of power, but probably most of us don't have a tremendous amount. But to those that do, we must always be aware of the lure of using power in ways that are selfish, ways that that hurt one another and power that, that keeps others down. And so this is a reminder that you can agree with me on this if you want to or not, that in this life there are just some things that you shouldn't mess with, right? Right. So uh, uh, it, it got back to me recently that uh, one of our, our dear sweet sisters here, Miss Rose Booker, said something to somebody recently. She said, if you see me in a fight with a bear, help the bear. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to mess with that. All right? But on a more serious note, one of those things is the power of darkness. The power of darkness is is very real. And it can overpower us. And it can hold dominion over our lives if we will allow it to. And as we enter into the story once again this week from the book of Acts. This is what we're going to see Paul facing. And there's so much that goes on that we're going to have to take this one in two weeks. We're going to see him directly come in contact with power and with evil, and then we're going to see what happens when Jesus begins to encroach on the power of darkness and evil next Sunday. So I hope you'll be with us for, uh, for both of these Sundays. But at the first part of the chapter, the first kind of ten verses, you have Paul who is in Ephesus. And I'm going to just kind of do an overview of those first ten. You have Paul who is in Ephesus, and he comes across this group of disciples that don't have the Holy Spirit. They've been baptized, but just like Apollos from last week, they have the, the baptism of John which is a baptism of repentance. It's a baptism that prepares one for the the coming of Christ and and His Lordship and and His kingdom. And so they're baptized into the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes on them when Paul touches them. And then the story kind of transitions, and we see Paul do what Paul always does on his missionary journeys. He goes to a place, and he always begins at the synagogue. Now then, what we have seen, for the most part, is that he goes to the synagogue and immediately gets himself into trouble. And he ends up getting chased out of town. Or they end up trying to kill him. But here in Ephesus, it's a little bit different. As a matter of fact, Luke says that Paul was able to spend a total of about three months there in the synagogue, reasoning with the Jews that are there. Then some obstacle arises in in some way. And so he moves to the lecture hall, the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And it says that he spent two years speaking and teaching and and reasoning 
from God's Word. And, and you know, we, we generally tend to think of Paul going to these places and he's there and it seems like he's there for just, just a few days before something happens and he's either run out of town or he chooses to leave. But it really didn't work that fast because we see right here that in Ephesus, and there's some crazy stuff about to go down in Ephesus, okay? There's some crazy stuff going down in Ephesus. Paul spends two years here, and he has some of his most fruitful and productive ministry before all the craziness begins, begins to break free. So let's begin reading together. Acts 19, let's start in verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Now that's pretty incredible, is it not? And it likens back to kind of what was happening in the early days of the church as Peter would walk by and his shadow would, would pass over someone and there were these healings. Well, evidently, some of this same kind of power is taking place here in Ephesus. God is working through Paul, and he is working in such a powerful way. The manifestations are so powerful that even if Paul touches a handkerchief or an apron or, or something else, if he touched it and then I, you know, Paul hands it to, to John, he's healed. That's pretty powerful, is it not? To know that, that, that God is working in that kind of way. And you would sit back and just say, my God, how great is our God. How great is His power. He's doing these extraordinary miracles. Now then, watch verse 13. Watch what happens. Now some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. You see what happens there? They see what is taking place. You have these, these Jewish exorcists that are here in Ephesus. They see what is happening they see what is happening with Paul and what is happening in his ministry. Ephesus is famous for its, its different levels of power. And so naturally, when you have a place of power, it naturally becomes a, a magnet for people who know how to manipulate and know how to use power to their own advantage. And what we see is that the power of the gospel and the announcement that Jesus is Lord, is having an, an absolutely incredible effect. And it says that you have these, these Jewish itinerant exorcists. They see what is happening. They see that Paul, in the name of Jesus, is casting out these demons, and, and they want in on what is, is happening. And so they begin to do what Paul says. They say, I command you. Now notice what it says there. By the Jesus that Paul preaches. Not the Jesus that we believe in, right? These are, are, are Jewish 
exorcists, okay? They are not Christians, right? But they see what Paul is doing, and they want in on it, so they say, okay, we see what you're doing. By the power, by the Jesus that Paul is preaching from, get out. Demons, clear out. You see, there was a belief held that if, if you knew something's name, if you knew a, a demon or, or principality's name, and you were able to speak that name, you could gain authority over it and cast it out. They are attempting to use an authority that they really don't even believe in. And so they say, by the power, by the name of Jesus that Paul is using, I command you to get out. Now then watch what happens. Verse 14. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus and I recognize Paul, but who are you? That's not a place I want to be in. You know what I'm saying? I command you by the name of Jesus that Paul preaches to leave this person and the demon speaks back. I'm going to need Rose Booker to help me in a situation like that. Okay? So, Rose, be ready. I'm going to call on you. Come help me. The demon says, wait a minute. I know who Jesus is. Because what does the scripture say elsewhere? The demons believe and shudder by the name of Jesus. I know who Jesus is, and I recognize Paul because Paul's been kicking our tail for a long time now. But who do you think you are? What, what do you think you're doing? By what power, by what authority are you doing this? You see, I think these guys assume that the power that Paul is, 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 is being worked through and working on is, is some type of magic. The gospel does indeed provide power But it's certainly not magic, right? C.S. Lewis says that, that magic attempts to gain power without paying the price of humble submission to the God whose power it is. Does that make sense? That's what these guys are, are doing. I don't think they're really interested in, in Jesus as Lord. They're interested in being able to cast out demons. For whatever reason, for it, whether, whether it be for the celebrity of it, the notoriety, for the financial gain, whatever it might be, they are not truly interested in Jesus as Lord. They just want the magic of what is happening. But this is what C.S. Lewis is saying. Magic attempts to gain power without the price of humble submission to God. The power that Paul is using, and Paul would never claim this for himself, the power that, that Paul is using, or rather the power that is flowing through and being manifested out of Paul, of course, comes from Jesus. Comes from, comes from the Lord. Now then watch verse 16. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, 
overpowered them all and prevailed against them so that they ran out of that house naked and what? Wounded. You think you're somebody. I'm fixing to show you who somebody is. And this demon-possessed guy jumps on all seven of these exorcists of this, of this priest, the sons of this priest, Siva, and beats them so bad that they leave the house bleeding, naked, wounded. That's a beatdown. Right? And I don't want any part of that. Do you? Right, Rose? Me and Rose don't want any part of that. If Rose doesn't want any, I definitely don't want it. Okay? One person overpowers seven, beats them to a pulp, and they leave bloodied and streaking out of the house, trying to get away from what? This power. Trying to, to, to get away, to get away from what's what's happening. When this became known, verse 17, to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in, in high esteem. Now then, I'm not much for using fear to, to make converts, but it seems to work right here. Okay? I think I would be paying attention a little more, don't you? This is exactly what happens. Then verse 18, and many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices. Now then watch this in verse 19. While many of those who had practiced magic collected their books, burned them in front of everyone, so they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces, 50,000 pieces of silver. That would be equivalent to 50,000 days worth of wages. That's what they, they got rid of. Because all of a sudden, they recognize that there is something different happening. They're seeing something other than, unlike anything they've ever seen before. There is a different kind of power that is being manifest here in Ephesus. We saw what that demon-possessed guy did to Siva's seven sons, and we don't want any part of that. I'm going to start believing in that other stuff. I'm going to start believing in Jesus and their lives are changed and they bring all their, their books, uh, you know, spell books, sorcery books, whatever it might be, and they burn them, but not just burn them on their own. Who do they burn them in front of? Everybody. You know, lying in the sand. This is who we were. Boom, burn it up. This is who we are now. They burned it up at a tremendous cost to these people. Calculated it at being... 50,000 days worth of, of, of wages. Now then watch verse 20, and this is the, the, the celebratory verse right here. In this way, the word of the Lord flourished and prevailed. I like the way the, the New Revised Standard puts that. It says, in this way, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. N.T. Wright says that the dark arts were being smoked out of hiding almost literally. 
Ephesus was turning into a living example of what the gospel could do. And we get excited about that. We get excited about the power of God and its ability to change lives, but yet we cannot, we cannot read this story out of its context. We have to remember what has happened so far. We have to remember what happened back in Philippi and, and realize that there's a lesson to be learned. And it's that when the gospel begins to threaten the financial impact of a place, trouble is always just around the corner. And that's exactly what is fixing to happen in Ephesus. It's going to lead to a riot. So come back next week and we'll talk about that. But I want to focus on something very quick. I want to focus very quickly in just the few minutes that I have left. I want to focus on the uses of, of power from, from chapter 19. And you've got several uses of it here throughout this text. Okay, now Greek is, is, is different from, from our English, and so sometimes we, we miss things. There is a, a deeper meaning. There is more richness to the language. And you jump all the way back to verse 11, and there is a word there, and, and it says God was performing extraordinary miracles. That word is dunamis, okay? Uh, it's where we get our word dynamite, okay? But it means it's talking about miracles, and it's talking about the, these mighty acts. It's, a, it's an achieving power. It's being able to do something. It's capable. It's, it's, it's inherent ability. This is what Jesus told the apostles as he ascends back up to heaven way back in Acts chapter 1. Remember when he says, don't, don't go anywhere, go back to Jerusalem, wait, and then the Holy Spirit is going to come on you with power, with, with dunamis. And then you're going to do incredible things. It's going to spread, it's going to spread throughout the earth. And so we see that God's dunamis, God's power is still being done. Paul is doing miraculous things here in Ephesus, so much so that a Kleenex touches you and you're healed. We need some of those Kleenexes, right? Flu season's coming. We could use a few of those. But that's the, the, the kind of power that, it, that is going on and is, is being displayed. Then in verse 16, you have two other uses of power. You have kata curio. And this means to, to subjugate, to exercise dominion over, to lord over. Your, your version might say subdue there in, in verse 16. Then you have isco. And this is talking about physical strength. Being able to prevail by force or your version may say overpower. And then there's the last one in verse 20, and it's kratos, which is talking about dominion or being able to, to hold sway. This is speaking more about the, the presence of force rather than the, the exercise of, of power. Now then, we're talking about power, right? And there's, there's power that is great power. But then there's also some power that we don't want anything a part of, Right? We want nothing to do with, and you see these powers working throughout this text. 
Okay, you have dunamis, God's power working that's bringing about miracles and it is changing lives here in Ephesus. But then you have the, the, the exorcist that say, hey, I want a part of that. I cast you out in the name of Jesus that Paul is preaching and the demon says, oh, no, you don't. And you have that second use of power taking place, that kata curio, and you have that isko. He literally, physically overpowers those exorcists, physically overpowers them, subdues them, gains control over them. This is the, the, the power of, of darkness. Okay? And, and the power of darkness is real. Okay? Now, I, we don't like to talk about darkness, and I get it. But the power of darkness is very real. And I think most of you know that because in, in some way or shape or form, you've experienced it in your life. And if you're like me, you probably have perpetuated some of that darkness at some point. Because I know there's times in my life when, I, when I've done that. But God's power is at work. The other exorcists and all these other people Jews and, and Greeks, they see what has happened and this, this reverent fear falls over them and they turn to God. They become believers. It says that the name of Jesus is held in high esteem, so much so that they burn all their, their books and give praise to God. And it says because of that, the word of the Lord grew mightily and it prevailed. Satan is attempting, attempting to establish dominion. But God works and overthrows that power. God's power, God's dominion is established in, in Ephesus. The demon asserted his power physically and established dominion over the exorcist. God, through Paul, establishes his dominion, his presence, his over Satan and his demonic forces through the power of the word. And here's a, just a takeaway. Dark forces will hold dominion over our lives until we surrender to the power of God. Does that make sense? I mean, Jesus kind of talked about this, right? Can't serve two masters. Um, there's no neutrality. There's no sitting on the fence. You're either with me. You're either against me. Okay, there, there, there's no being neutral. And until we recognize God's power, until we surrender our lives to God's power, then darkness will hold dominion in our lives. Um, you know, we need, to, we, need to talk about, we need to talk about these things. 
some years ago, uh, someone who was fascinated with spiritual warfare, and it is a fascinating subject, but uh, like obsessive with it, came to me and uh, asked me if I would uh, you know, really dive into this stuff and preach a, a series on it. And we've, we've talked about it here, because like I said, a lot of people have experienced it, but there's a caution there. And my caution is, be careful when looking into evil, because evil looks back. Does that make sense? And we need to make sure that we have the armor of God with us. And we start looking into some of these things. So what is our, as we wrap it up this morning, what's our community connection? It's simply this, that God's power is available to all who desire a humble relationship with him. That, that, that kratos, that, that presence of God, that power is available to all, but it's not like, this, like magic, like the, the exorcists we're looking for. But it's power, it's presence, it's, it's Holy Spirit indwelling and empowering and guiding and manifesting itself in the lives of those who come before God in humility, Seeking after him. You see all these people, the, the burning of the books, it, it, it symbolizes the resolve to turn from, from magic to miracle. From pagan writings to the scriptures of Israel. From demonic charlatans to the power of God. It also symbolizes the inability of believers to appropriate God's power as another commodity. God's power is made available only through relationship with the Lord. So let me leave you with a question. And it's simply this. Are there things in your life that you need to burn for God? Are there things that are, are getting in the way of, of your relationship with Him? Things that are, are, are taking more priority, more time, more focus. The power of God is at work in our lives when we stop trusting in everything else, whether it be money or, or power on a worldly scale, whether it be education, relationships, all of those things, and turn to, to Jesus. So that's the question. And I wish we could spend more time about, uh, on this because I think there's a lot more to say. But are there things in your life that you need to burn for God? In other words, you need to burn that, that out of your life that brings about purity, kind of burns away that, that dross. Let's pray together.